everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Bombercast for 2023 post the Geelong Lost. I'm your regular co-host, The Grizz, and with me is a special guest, a man who's not uh, unknown to our listeners as a contributor on the board, but also a guest previously in Owen87. How are you, Owen? Yeah, going well, going well. Over in Perth, listening to the uh, local papers talk about the misfortunes of their sides, which is fantastic. It's not a great year for WA football fans if you're a supporter of those teams, is it? It's um, a bit of a travesty over there. Yeah, they're, they're calling for an independent review into the West Coast. Into the West Coast, just just generally, the entire yes. club. Just the whole club needs an independent review. Oh, well, we're an expert of those. We had two of those in a year. They should just ask us. Okay. <laughs> and we stole the CEO that could have done it for them. Oh, well, they'll suffer. Um, Perfect. <laughs> Uh, this is obviously the first pod we've done in a while. We apologize for last week, um, short week and some life stuff meant we couldn't turn around another pod. So for those who have been living under the rock after what was arguably the worst quarter, last quarter in, I think, the last decade uh, against Collingwood, we opened up against Geelong in very much the same fashion, uh, losing to Geelong by 28 points, 132 to 104. A, a weird game, I reckon... Owen, in the sense that we sort of started the game exactly how we finished against Collingwood, got down in a pretty serious hole, and, and although we threatened at points, never really quite got into it. But it, it, despite the fact that we considered it 132 points, I didn't think it was as bad a loss as you would think. No, look, I, I think everyone was pretty fair enough, upset at the end of the Anzac Day and hoped for a better start, and... Then we didn't, and the the upside, I think, was that they fought it out. I, I unfortunately also watched the North game, and they just capitulated, and they had the same start we did, and they just gave up. Yeah, So to, to watch the side play out the game and compete all day long and, and all of those things, I thought was really positive. I think you're right. Like As good a start as it was for the year, I think, you know, we had a great win against Melbourne. That I think the gulf between... You know, Geelong and us was shown on the weekend. I thought mechanically our, our game looked okay in terms of when the ball was zinging from end to end, our transition defense wasn't bad. What seemed to kill us was really scores off turnovers in our back half. We had some horrendous turnovers in that first quarter and throughout the game. And Geelong were just absolutely brutal from clearance. Like I think David King was talking about during the broadcast that Geelong, if they won a clearance, were basically scoring every time. And it's just a recipe for disaster when a team like Geelong that um, has the forward line they've got against probably the undermanned defence we have, it was always going to end in disaster, I think, at different points. Yeah, I think we saw that, you know, Dangerfield might be an ageing force, but he's still a force and we don't probably have a player that can legitimately stop him when he rips the ball out of the stoppage. He's, he's too big, he's too strong. You know, Setterfield is, uh, I think, done an amazing job of balancing our midfield out, but he doesn't have the power that a Dangerfield has and... When you get uh, a bloke like Hawkins in the form he was in with the delivery he was getting, I'm not sure there's a harder job for a fullback in the game than playing one out on Tom Hawkins with good delivery. Yeah, and he's such a singular matchup, Tom Hawkins. Like, he's probably kilo for kilo the strongest guy in the AFL. And then, you know, he's also 110 kilos and almost 200 centimetres tall. And he's an orthodox, unorthodox matchup in the sense he's not a he's not a pack marking lead up forward. He's very much a, a stand and wrestle guy. When you've got a guy that big, I don't think we, we, well we certainly don't have anyone on our list able to do that. 
then when you know when you add to that Jeremy Cameron and all the other issues they they cause, um, it was always going to be hard for us. Do you get the sense that Geelong put the queue in the rack? Sort of after quarter, uh, well, not really quarter time. After half time, they got to about forty points at half time, and we sort of floated between that that four and a half to to eight goal margin throughout the rest of the game. Do you think there was a certain level of fight in the team, or how much of it did you put to Geelong just going, okay, we're in cruise control here, we'll turn it off, turn it on and off in five minutes spurts when Geelong getting the, when Essen are getting their tails up as needed. Uh, look, I, I think the team fought it out well. We didn't give up we tried a few different things you had um across the board i thought everyone played as well as you could play in a game that we were probably not a huge chance of winning we we never quite could put any pressure on them we always we kick a goal we might kick a second but then they just go and slam one through at the other end i'm not sure they put the cue in the rack completely but i also don't think that they were giving everything they could for every minute of that game which probably yeah, they're a genuine top four side. They're the Premier from last year. They're very experienced, mature bodies. They don't have to play like that against a side like Essendon, who's still growing into their bodies for half the side. Yeah. Yeah, the five-day break versus the eight-day break probably came out at different points as well. I think we came out flat, and that generally happens when you're coming off a short break. It can be hard to get through your recovery and get the energy levels up, particularly a game against Collingwood. That would have been a a level of sort of emotional shell shock. And then it was a pretty physical game towards the end. So the fact we came out flat wasn't you know, necessarily a bad thing. I just want to talk about the last three weeks in reality. So we've played Melbourne, Collingwood and Geelong, which if you ask most people would be considered three biggest con- sort of premiership contenders this season. And we've played them in successive weeks and we've probably put in 10 really good quarters out of 12 with the two quarters that were bad being the last quarter against Collingwood and the first quarter against Geelong being absolutely travesty, being absolute, absolute travesties. But uh, if you'd said to me that we're going to win one, lose one by effectively a goal, I know McCreary kicked one after, sorry, but effectively a goal, and then lose the other one by 28 points, I probably would have taken that. How, how have you seen sort of how Essendon measures up against those teams over the last three weeks? Is it... About what you expect, are we better than probably what you thought going into it? You know, how, how have you assessed this last sort of block of three or four weeks? Uh, I think the Melbourne win was uh, it was a surprise to me. I didn't think we would be anywhere close to winning that game, let alone just completely dominating it. And then uh, Collingwood and Geelong, I would have thought before the game, if you told me the score lines, I would have said, yeah, yeah, that's probably that's probably about where I'm happy with that. We're, we're not as good as they are, but we haven't been completely blown away. But I think what was disappointing, and it was absolutely heartbreaking to sit there at three-quarter time on Anzac Day with 95,000 people thinking, geez, we've, we've got this one. We're going to get home here with this massive crowd and for Collingwood to run over us the way we did and then to, to come out the, the next quarter we've played and start the way we did against Geelong. I think it's things like that that frustrate supporters. It's It's not... The outcome. I think the outcome is probably, you know, splitting three games against top four sides with a win is probably a pretty good outcome from where we all thought we'd be at the start of the year. But to have a couple of really uncompetitive quarters and you throw in that first quarter against St Kilda, mm. that, that's the sort of thing that we as supporters sit there and go, oh, you know, we've, we've got to find a way to fix that in future. That's something that, you know, maybe it will come with time and experience, but 
we've all watched this team for a while now and we, we've seen it all before where we've seen these things and we go, oh, that's not great. We don't want to see more of that. And, and then it creeps back into the game. And, you know, I, I think Brad Scott's still got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Oh, I, I do think that's, yeah, that, that we had a great start in terms of wins and losses to the season, but I think that's where you can clearly see the development. Like when, when the genuinely good teams ratchet up the intensity, I, I just don't think we have the level to go with them at the moment. And that's not an indictment on the on the club or the playing group at the moment. We are a very young playing list, but I think that's probably, if we're going to beat one of those games, one of those teams, we're going to have to get them on a good day, which is what we got Melbourne on, to be honest. Melbourne played poorly, but we're still good enough to beat them. But I think that's the next level, isn't it? Just being able to, when a team like Geelong or Collingwood decide, all right, it's time to ratchet up the pressure to, to raw home against us in Antec Day or to to blow us out of the park and, and cruise from that point against Geelong, we don't quite have that gear and that's probably what we need to develop. But we'll move on to the positives. Um, and there were a couple. I, I think it's worth noting a couple. Um, I thought Sam Wiedemann kicking five was you know, impressive in one sense, but also just very encouraging. You know, in a losing side, kicking five's good, but all you really want from Sam is, you know, that one and a half to two goals a game as your your number one option as a key forward. To kick five is a good outcome. Pretty accurate kick, five goals, one. Um, and I thought he and Jake Stringer, who kicked four of his own and had 26 disposals, showed an ability to score against a good team in Geelong and against a good team defense. And that, and that at least was an encouraging thing from the weekend. Yeah, look, I agree. I reckon Wiedemann was a high draft pick for a reason and we've seen it over the years that he can have really good games and his issue has probably been a bit of consistency really that the the gap between his best and his worst is a bit too big. Uh, But probably Peter Wright was similar and we've seen Peter Wright matured really grow into what his capabilities are and Wiedemann's last fortnight I think has been really positive he's he probably didn't get the reward for effort against Collingwood but he covered a lot of ground mm. playing that role that we we talk about Harry Jones playing it where he, he gets up the ground and drags the defender around and just outworks their man all day long and really runs them into the ground and it's probably not something I thought Wiedemann had in him, but he's showing he does. And this this round, he got reward for effort, and he showed that he can score and he can kick straight, and he's, you know, could be a really good pickup for us. Yeah, and it's interesting. There's a few of them going around at the moment. These these forwards that are underappreciated at the clubs, they go to a new one and they start kicking on. Like, you know, you know we obviously had Peter Wright, Marbiel Chole kicked 40 on the season for the Gold Coast after being a delisted free agent. From Richmond, you've got guys like Josh Bruce who were sort of unwanted as a, a defender at GWS at kick on at St Kilda and, and then now the Bulldogs as well. Like, it, it's ironic how many of these really highly touted young key forwards just need a change of scenery. I suppose the pressure of being that guy who's coming on can be a lot, whereas you go to a place where there's low expectation, they just find a way to thrive. I thought, as I said, Jake Stringer, four goals and 26 disposals. Any time that Jake has 26 disposals and four goals, you probably think we win. Um, <laughs> but it was against Geelong. I thought doing Shield as a high half forward. I, I think Scott's found something in him he's he's kicked multiple goals a couple of times this season i think he's got six goals already which is the most he's ever had at this point in the season in his career the, the thought was always how do you juggle hobbs and sartis and caldwell into the midfield well if shield's able to play as a high half forward that's probably 
how you start moving that mix around. And we know he's got the speed and the gut running to to play that position. And he's probably just, you know, in terms of the upside offensively of what he gives you, he's a big upgrade on selling, although he probably is a slight downgrade on the defensive side. But I'm fascinated how Scott's decided to deploy him at the moment, trying to fit Hobbs into the midfield. Yeah, it's been really interesting, hasn't it? She'll probably, you know, he's copped a lot of criticism for his delivery inside 50 that it's not necessarily the most reliable but also that traditionally he hasn't been a great goal kicking he he's a player like physically he's an, an absolute specimen he's the the yeah. model professional he has all the strengths and stoppages that you want from a midfielder and it's it's really the things that he's not been known for in the past that we're seeing this year is goal kicking and even he's passing inside 50, and I've noticed quite a few times he does things off his opposite foot, and I think they've just – he just looks like he's got a bit more confidence and whether he's gone away and really worked on that part of his game as well. It uh, wouldn't surprise me that he's sat down and been told, look, you know, you've, you've, you have to create a new role for yourself and be something more than just a midfielder, and he showed that he's got the physical traits to get that separation inside 50 and now he's starting to get a bit of that reward and he's he's getting the goal kicking rights and it gives us a real weapon having a, a genuine midfielder that can play in the forward line and rest up forward and rotate back into the midfield is it's a real luxury to have when you have it yeah and i think it, it allows us to have a different uh, sort of mix in our midfield because it allows stringer to go in there a bit more often but it also means that you can have caldwell and setterfield in the midfield at the same time which just makes us a little bigger around the ball which has always been our issue in the past so it's great to see um some creativity there we know that you know hobbs can play forward we know parish in a previous life has you can deploy merit onto a wing so we're starting to get a bit of variety there and that's without sartis being in the team um at the moment which is probably a good segue just to moving on to sort of general stuff and, and the game coming up this week injury report came out yesterday owen the update being that guelphy looks about three weeks away with that hamstring cox is Four weeks away with the back, which is great to see him back within a month. Sartis down to five weeks, and then everything else is about seven weeks onwards there with Laverde, Wright, and Stewart. It says foot, but, you know, I'm waiting confirmation to see if he's dead or something because I don't know if we've seen him at the club or on any injury list with any sort of update for a couple of months. It's interesting with Reed sort of named an extended squad which we'll get to in a minute he's only been back in the vfl for a week but it seems like these really conservative week times are not necessarily you know weeks until they're back with the main team but it the conservative sort of markings on the injury seems to be you know getting them back basically into playing shape um how have you seen so the injury management to start the year, it's been disappointing, obviously, to see Cox and Sardis out for so long, but promising they're back to within a month. Yeah, I get the sense that with their injury management timelines now, they're saying, you know, they're four weeks off and that four weeks isn't rejoining training, which is probably what it has been in the past, but it's actually being fit enough right to play and giving players that extra couple of weeks to really get them right. And particularly because they're young blokes, they there's no point running Sartis in the, into the ground, bringing him back two or three weeks early and shortening the next 10 years of his career. We, I'd much rather wait a couple of weeks, get him back 100% fit, ready to go. Same with Cox, same with Reed, and give him a chance to play. And we've seen it with Reed that 
we we have a bit of a key defender shortage at the moment, and he's obviously sitting there as an emergency in, in just in case because really we're down to Brandon Zerk Thatcher as our only genuine tall defender. We're, we're having to play Ridley up a weight class on Hawkins the other day, which really, given Ridley's abilities, is not where you want him. So I, I think it's been really good injury management to have him in a point where he could come in and play AFL this week. And I'd like to think that the way they're managing the other guys means that, yeah, in, in a month's time, we are going to see Cox running around in the VFL fit and healthy and, and able to start contributing and doing the things that we really want to see from him in the future. And how do you see, there's a lot of discussion, I think, generally on the board, but otherwise about the body shapes and the concern about Cox and Reed, their height and their quite skinny frames and their ability to stay healthy over a long time. I, I get the feeling that they're never going to be these big hulking players. I, I look at Zach Reed and think he's going to be more Harrison Andrews than you know, your Jack Payne at Brisbane or well, your Marcus <laughs> Adams, I suppose is yeah, is that well, yeah, that's type it. that plays alongside Harris Andrews, doesn't he? Yeah, or you know, David Asprey for Richmond back in the day um, was a he was a big boy. He was one ninety six and about a hundred kegs as well. I don't think they'll ever get to that sort of size. I think. Defenders nowadays are becoming more and more sort of agile more than anything. The ability to to play tall and small, get across and help and outnumber in a contest. I'm not concerned about necessarily about the weight thing, but I do have concerns about long-term injury viability. It's just guys that tall and that skinny don't have a great record at AFL level. I think it's, it's really hard. I read something the other day about... Uh... Todd Goldstein when he was drafted where they basically saw him as a five-year project where they saw they said okay we don't expect him to be ready to really play AFL until his fifth season and people people sort of recognize that ruckmen take time but the problem we're seeing now is that these key defenders they're ruck they're genuine ruckman height yeah they're really really tall and we saw it with uh Ridley where he had back stress fractures and really once he sort of had finished growing and had the ability to build up his his strength, not his weight, but his strength to support his height. He's been quite durable ever since. So I, I'm probably still a couple of years off really riding off either of these two guys as being injury prone. I think at their height, it's just a matter of giving them time, trying to let their bodies settle and then starting to, to see the kind of shape they're going to become. I don't think Cox will ever be a big man. No, uh, he'll he'll be tall and he'll be exceptionally mobile. He won't probably be as heavy as Blitzars, but it, it probably doesn't need to be. Whereas no. Zach Reed, from memory, he's he's pretty solid through the lower body. Zach Reed, so I think he might carry a bit more weight than people probably expect. But it might just take a really long time for him to get there. He might be twenty five, twenty six before he's starting to get this. You know, the true size he's going to get to. Uh, and I think that uh, Lewis Hayes looks like he does have a good frame on him. Oh. He's, he's got a very, you know, he's got those broad shoulders that he looks like he's going to fill out to be to be a very big, strong, you know, fully grown defender. There's something about lanky, red-headed defenders that just make me happy in Essendon jumpers. But that's, that's a di- <laughs> discussion for a different time. I, I tend to think that Cox is more Justin Westhoff than he is Mark Blitzavs. You know, Justin Westhoff never got really above 94 kilo, but he was functionally strong enough, had a great tank, good foot skills. And I think if you can get Westhoff and, you know, Andrews out of those two, that's a, <laughs> two pretty good picks, I think. But 
sort of speaking about Reed, I think it's probably you know, about time we, we start looking at the team selection for this week, looking ahead to uh, the game against Port Adelaide. Normally we do our pods a little bit earlier in the week so we don't get to the team selection, but luckily we've been able to do it today. Um, Durham obviously out with a suspension for the slim tackle against Geelong. Income: Alan Davy Jr., Dyson Heppel, Jai Menzi, and Zach Reed named on the extended bench, which is Snelling, Perkins, Hind, Heppel, Reed, Phillips, D'Ambrosio, and Menzi. Obviously two of those to miss out. And one to uh, so three of those to miss out, and one of those to be named as the sub. What are your views on the team selection this week? Obviously, Durham's the, the um, force change out of the suspension. What are your thoughts on the ends and uh, potentially some outs that might have needed to happen? Well, I think unfortunately losing Durham's a tough one because we we don't have a natural person that can slot in on the wing. I think Langford as an offensive winger, can do it. But we also have this real problem down back and they keep, for whatever reason, playing Langford as a defender. So I, th- I think we're in a tough position. I think Reed's really, he is listed as a genuine emergency. I, th- I think it's unlikely he gets selected. He's just there in case something happens to one of our key defenders. I, I know people are going to be upset, but I think if we're having to replace Durham on a wing, to me, my guess is Heppel's going to come into the side and... I, it's, I just think it's so unfortunate that a guy who's been such a, a fantastic player and a leader for the club through a really difficult time is at the stage where supporters are probably cringing a little if he does get selected. But, you know, you still need a guy on the wing that can run his 15K a game. And we don't have many of them. We saw that against Collingwood. We don't have enough players that can run out all four quarters covering a lot of territory up and down the ground. Mm. And then, you know, I, I think it's really good that we're, we're seeing Owen Davies straight on the field. Yep. Uh, there's no no messing around there. I think that's a really good in. And I like the idea of, and we discussed this after the Collingwood game, using a sub uh, that has a bit more speed. So a guy like Hind or a guy like D'Ambrosio that can add some run late in the game. I yeah. think they're, they're the guys that can come on in a quarter and really impact, particularly late in the game with their leg speed, which is such a weapon when everyone's fresh, they just become unstoppable, uncatchable because everyone's, you know, got 10, 15 Ks in their legs and these guys are fresh and fast and they can give you that extra little burst that you need at the end of a game. So I think our our team selection is kind of at the mercy of our injury list, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I wonder if the move is shield to the wing, just noting that he's obviously got the running power in him to cover it. Or maybe Snelling comes into the team and plays a high half forward and basically takes that wing position. Um, but I think he'll lose his forward pressure if you do that. So it, it's, it'll be really interesting. The other major selection issue you got to go through is do you persist with the two ruck combination? So Phillips is named on the extended bench. Uh, I just I wonder if it worked against Melbourne. Geelong absolutely crucified it and it didn't really work against Collingwood. Port Adelaide play with a very similar ruck setup that Geelong does, to be honest. Uh, Collingwood does, to be honest. They got they start Jeremy Finlayson, and then it's basically Tico or Tix or, or Dixon that go in there. Oh, I just don't know if two genuine rucks is the way to go. I do wonder if Sam Weedham and pinch hitting in there for ten minutes a quarter is the way to go. But on the on the flip side, does Draper have the tank at this point to be able to play that effectively? I, I don't know. It'll be interesting with it being a tactical sub. I, I tend to think that it'll be Snelling, Perkins, Heppel, 
and Phillips with you know with Hind or D'Ambrosio as the sub, but we'll see how that goes. Moving on to the game, it's a really interesting one. So I I have Port Adelaide as a genuinely good team this year, and there, there's some conjecture about how good they are in terms of are they you know they they made the top two a couple of times uh, consecutive years a couple of years ago and were bounced in prelim finals, but just from a statistics standpoint they're number three in contested possessions they're afl two in stoppage clearances which is general clearances around the ground they're top the afl three in center clearances the afl two in tackles <laughs> and they've actually got the second least amount of disposals in a competition so what that tells you is that they are brutally efficient in the contest and they get it forward quickly so that's a weakness of ours, we we don't have a great contested possession or stoppage clearance number uh, in terms of our rankings. And I, I tend to think that if Port Adelaide win this game, it'll be because Horn Francis and and Boke and and Wines beat us up around the football, um, and we're just we haven't got the cattle down back to intercept like we did against a team like Melbourne. Yeah, look, I think they they got over and secured last week, and they were playing away. Probably one of the big criticisms over Port has been that they're really good at home and they're probably not so good away. But the Saints are looking like a, a really good side this year. I think the Saints at the moment are looking like they're a real top four chance. They're defensively a very good side. And to get the job done against a good team playing away shows that, yeah, I think Port, they're, they're a genuinely good side. They may not be the best side in the competition, but I think they're probably inside the top six, if not the top four. And, yeah, they're, you know, Horn Francis, they paid a fair bit for him, but he's showing why he was such a highly rated player. You've got Boke is still just going on and playing great football. And then you've you've got their, you know, they've had a bit of messing around with their key forwards. I think Georgiades is now out for a bit, but Dixon's back and guys like Pal Pepper are, you know, they're, they're a real scoring threat, but they also such similar to Geelong. They have big, strong bodies and, that's probably the the thing we struggle with. I think we matched up better against Collingwood where it came down more to running power than it did just size. And I yeah. think Port's midfield will give us a lot of trouble with their their size. You know, we've, we've all had issues with Ollie Wines and Ollie Wines now has a few friends that are pretty big men alongside him. Yeah, and I think... They've obviously got the tall catalog forward as well. They've got Todd Marshall, who I think is underrated. I think he's really taking a step forward as a young key forward in in the league at the moment. Charlie Dixon's always given us trouble. <laughs> We've never really had a matchup to him. A bit similar to Hawkins, really, in how he plays. And obviously, Bryn Teekle, the resting ruck. Sam Power Pepper, like you said, is, is six foot three himself. So 190 centimetres, basically, and a powerful athlete. If they can isolate us defensively from a clearance, I, I, I'm really concerned about how we'll hold up. But we've done this before where we look at our defence and go, how the hell did we defend? And it's all about cover defence and intercepting and leaving a man to help your mate. We'll see how it works. We'll see if, if it goes ahead. But I tend to think that if Port Adelaide win, and, it, and the reports are that it's 
going to be a pretty dry day in South Australia. Um, so skills are going to be a, a pretty good. If Port come in a mood to beat us around the football, I don't think we've got the size to go with them. But on the flip side, I don't think they've got the spread to go with us. So it, it might really be oil and water to see who comes out on top because we, you know, our ability to go forward with handball and our, uh, we're one of the leaders in the league in uncontested marks. Now, if we, if we can get a hold on our hands on the football port adelaide's shown a propensity to let teams go coast to coast not sort of transition defensively as well they should yeah i I think our big issue same as against collingwood where we kicked it to darcy moore and same as against st kilda where we kept it to callum wilkie our big issue in our forward 50 entries will be just not kicking it to a leer earlier we do this every time we play a team with a player like that a a tom stewart and a leer earlier if we can make good choices with our forward 50 entries, I, I don't think we'll just win on pure bulk entries. We're, we're going to have to make good use of the ones we get because I, I certainly agree with you that we're not going to have midfield dominance. So what we have to do is rely on getting the opportunities we get and getting our forwards service that they can actually use. I, my, I had One of my criticisms the last couple of weeks had been that Jake Stringer wasn't getting the service that suited him. You know, don't don't kick a ball high and long to Jake Stringer where he's forced to stand and wrestle the defence, give him space to move. And we saw that against Geelong where, yes, he went up the ground and got a lot more himself, but the delivery to him actually gave him a chance. So just getting guys like Merritt, like Martin, the, you know, I, I really rate Alwyn Davey Jr. and, Tip and Goody, they both have fantastic inside 50 entries. They make good choices and they give our forwards a chance. They know how forwards want the ball and they don't kick it to the advantage of the defender. So I think there's going to be a lot of the game won off the back of just making good use of our forward 50 entries. Yeah, and I suppose Stringer's going to play a pretty critical role, noting that the size difference for the midfield, one of the few times we looked pretty capable against Geelong was when Setterfield and Stringer were in the centre bounce and in the clearances at the same time. So it'll be a fascinating sort of watch to see how they deploy Jake, um, whether they do use him through the midfield a bit more to see if we can squeeze the ball, get the ball forward and then squeeze sort of port defensively You'd love two of him, wouldn't you, <laughs> Jake Stringer, when he's kicking four and having 26. But it'll be a fascinating game. If we can pull – I have this view, Owen, that when we started this five-game block, I think it was – well, six-game block, really. It was um, Melbourne, Collingwood, Geelong, Port, Brisbane, Richmond. My view was if we can pick off two of those six, we would basically get to five and five with a pretty easy run to go. We've already picked off Melbourne – I think Richmond are right for the picking, but we just have this mental hurdle with Richmond. If we can snag this one and maybe beat Richmond and get to the sort of the ten week mark, five and five, six and four, we're in pretty good shape. And I think we would have taken that if we, you know, when we started this six week block. I think this is a really critical game for this year. If we lose this and we and we're relatively not and we're not relatively close, I think, you know. I'm going to start talking about, okay, great. I'll start thinking, you know, great start, but yeah, not to be this season in terms of finals. Whereas if we get this win, I think realistically you should be at least trying to get to that 11-12 win mark, which is likely what's going to get you in the finals this year. Yeah, look, I I would agree. If we can get through the the opening block of the season and be 
pretty even on the win-loss ratio, then I think that, that would be a really good outcome. A lot of people probably came into the season assuming that we were going to be a bottom four side. And on what we've seen so far, we, we really aren't. We're probably in that, you know, we're, we're probably not genuinely eight, the eighth best team in the competition, but through a bit of, you know, luck draw-wise and knocking off Melbourne, we've given ourselves a chance to to play finals. And I think the positives that I've seen is that the team seems much more capable and willing to fight it out each and every week. So, yeah, I, I have a bit more confidence that if we did get there, we would put up a bit of a fight. Uh, I don't know that... I don't think the year's success will be dictated by whether we win a final. I think the year's success will be dictated by seeing a team that turns up every week against any team in the game and competes. And so far, I've seen that and I've been really happy. And I think Port's a really gettable side. I think Richmond's a really gettable side. Brisbane at home, it's a really tough call. Yeah, We have gotten a hold of Brisbane before and got it done. So... I think that was when they had half their list out with COVID, but um, you know, hmm. you you take these things. So you know, yeah. you, they're all they're all winnable. There's no, the gap between the best and worst sides in the AFL is not that big. And on any day, as long as you know, as long as you turn up and play, the team gives yourself a chance, doesn't it? Yeah, you just yeah. have to turn up, and that's the big thing that I've enjoyed seeing this year is that. Yes, we've had the shocking quarters every so often, but the team does turn up again. They come out the next quarter and then they go. And I think if we turn up from the start of the game against Port, we've shown that against Collingwood, against Geelong, against St Kilda, we've shown we can stay with these sides. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you're right. And after the Brisbane game, we would have, in the first nine rounds, we would have played six teams inside the top eight. So it's probably a really good benchmark to see where we're at, to be honest. Okay, we've got... Not long to go. Uh, quick tip for the weekend and your, the margin you think it'll be. I'd love to tip Essendon, but I think Port at home, I reckon, you know, I, re- I think they'll be two to three goals too good for us on the day. And I'd be happy with that. I think if, if we can contain them at home, then I reckon we'll have had a pretty good day. Yeah, I'm tipping Port by about four goals, but yeah, it's certainly not a dishonorable loss and certainly not the one that we had at the back end of last year. All right. Well, thanks, Alan, for coming along. I appreciate it. Uh, you're jumping in for Bont and for all you listening we appreciate you joining us and, and thank you again for your understanding about last week make sure you like and subscribe and tell your bomber supporting friends uh, go bombers and we'll see you next week fantastic fantastic